0: Uh, we're going to look at some uh, indications here of uh, the Lord's coming. We're going to spend about three weeks on who Jesus is and why this season is important. Now, my kids were here over the last week or so, and they left uh, Thursday morning, and uh, and so did our heart. You know, went with them. But um, I, I was reminded as I read an article this week. I was reminded of some things as. I was hanging out with Silas a little bit this week. Um, here's, I'm going to advocate for you to not worry about buying your kids or grandkids new toys. Okay, Because what, what I discovered, and what one writer writes, is that um, they, they're going to like the Tupperware drawer a lot more anyway. Isn't that kind of the way it turns out? Uh, if that doesn't work, when you get to the end of the paper towel roll, that's like the best thing ever. It becomes a sword, or a, you know, you know, one of those things, uh, you know, a drumstick here, right, or whatever. Um, um, and and who needs toys when jumping on the bed like the five little monkeys brings tears of laughter? Okay, so you really don't need you don't need a trampoline. Um, Now, and the other thing I would suggest you do, instead of buying a toy, just give one toy to another one, and they'll want it all the more. Or put it in the garage sale pile. Okay, you put it in the garage sale pile, and then all of a sudden they've got renewed interest in the toy that you're getting ready to, uh, to sell the garage sale or give away. All right? My dad, every Christmas of my life, my dad... When you'd ask him what he wanted or when you'd ask him what he was going to get you, in this case me, he would say the same thing every year. A pair of socks and a flashlight. I don't know where that came from, and I don't guess I ever asked him where it came from, but he'd always say, I'm going to get you a pair of socks and a flashlight. You know, at 60 years old, that actually sounds pretty good. I can't... I have trouble finding flashlights, and I always use new socks. At six, it was a different story, right? Okay. Do what? That's right. And I need that flashlight. Make sure your socks mash. Okay. Well, uh, you know what? I I had flashlights all over the house. fate are, are you got power back? I hope. Well. We're going to ask the question today, who is Jesus? We're going to deal a little bit of it from the Christmas story. One of my favorite scriptures that I memorized a long, long time ago is from the fifth chapter of uh, John's first letter, 1 John 5, that says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It sounds to me like uh, the all-important question here is, what do I know, what is my relationship to the Son of God? So I, I wanted us to kind of deal with that a little bit. We're going to begin with it. Bob, if you'll turn there, we're going to begin with it. Over in the little book of Hebrews, now I didn't warn you to read Hebrews 1, but we're going to look at four verses, the first four verses from the book of Hebrews. Now, by the way, I, what I recognize over the years is how much music has helped me memorize. I could do Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 in the King James right now. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the prophets, the fathers by the prophets, has in these days, okay? Uh, because I sang that somewhere along the way. By the way, don't expect me to sing today. You wouldn't want to hear it, okay? Bob, read the first four verses of the book of Hebrews, would you? That's perfect. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophet at many times and in various ways. But in these last
1: days, He has spoken to us by His Son, who is the appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things.
0: Now the word superior is very important in the book of Hebrews. I won't get into that. That's a huge theological discussion. But By the way, all of today is going to be rather theological in nature, but it's very, very important. Do you know what? What you believe really matters. Um, do you recognize what you believe really does matter? What you believe what some believe caused them this week to turn guns on some innocent people. Okay? So it's very, very important what you believe, what I believe. So these first four the, the whole book of Hebrews is very theological, but let's talk just a little bit about this. How has God chosen to speak to whom he wanted to speak? In the past, well, I'm I'm going to begin with one that's not that's only implied in those first four verses the law. Okay, the law. God gave Moses the law to be written down. Prior to that, it was kind of known by oral tradition, but God gave us the law, gave the Israelites the law uh, to get them ready for the coming of Jesus. Now, now what, what I need to know, I've been reading through this week the book of Galatians, and the book of Galatians will say that the law was a tutor, a tutor, a schoolmaster leading us to Christ. That's very important that we get that. The law was given so that God could speak to us, to let us know what is important, Okay? So that's not, when I think the law, I don't want to just think the Ten Commandments, although that's representative of it. I want to think about all those first five books of the Bible, okay? God has given us the law. Secondly, he gave us the prophets. Last summer, we studied through some of the minor prophets and saw what they had to say. about. It wasn't interesting, it is, at least to me, what the, the minor prophets had to say, not only about the conditions of their world, but invariably, most of them predicted what was going to happen in this room. Many of them predicted what was going to happen in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Uh, so many uncanny come-to-life predictions, which, by the way, is the proof of the pudding for a prophet. If I say claim I'm a prophet, predict something's going to happen, what, con- what confirms that I'm a prophet It's when that comes true. And so the prophets also spoke, the Bible says here. Third, it says that, that God has spoken through his creation. His creation. How lately has God spoken to you through his creation? Ice storm. I'm not sure God put that one together. But I, you know what I love this time of year? What is it? about the cold that makes Oklahoma sunsets even prettier. Have you noticed that? Looking across the lake, if you're driving down the the lake road or whatever. What is it about? Isn't it wonderful? And I can look at that and say, "That's, that's random gases. Or I can say, the Lord had something to do with painting that picture. And he's allowing me to enjoy it. He has spoken to us by creation, okay? When I had an 18-month-old on my lap, occasionally this last week, he doesn't stay on anybody's lap very long. He's a machine. But, um, but when I had him on my lap, even for a minute, or when we watched him shoveling in food, which he did quite a bit, occasionally i get a chance to look at his fingers, and they're long and kind of spindly. Or occasionally I'd look at his little fat feet, and I would think, okay, that's not a random collection of protoplasm. There's something intentional there. God has revealed Himself to us through His creation. All right. Now and then also, God has revealed Himself to us in many ways through human history. Uh, he got involved a lots of times in human history. If you're if you're the the original recipient of uh, the Old Testament and certainly in the New Testament, then um, you're going to know that God got involved in human history in the Exodus event, in the crossing of the Red Sea, in the crossing of the Jordan River, in, in all of those kinds of things, in Noah's flood. I mean, in all those kinds of things, God got kind of involved. And they celebrated on a regular basis. They would celebrate the intervention of God into human history. God got involved. He's been revealed to us. So uh, I'm going to go back, Bob, to my... Uh, King James English, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners made himself known to you. Okay, he has, he continues to. Now, but the Bible says here that in these last days, in this last epoch of time, however long this is going to last, God has spoken to us one more time in his son. It's his ultimate message. And as a son, the Bible says that Christ is the logical heir of all, everything. But the Bible also says that he is, interestingly, the creator of all. Now, that's a hard concept to get my brain around this time of year because when I think of God invading the planet, in a manger in Bethlehem, it's hard for me to put my brain around the thought that that little wriggling, crying baby was also the creator of the universe. It just, it's kind of one of those imponderables, you know, that I accept by faith. Um, have you seen the meme on Facebook or anywhere this week where it's got a picture of a manger and it says, the original king-sized bed? I just think that's really cute. Yeah, The king of the universe. But the Bible says, look at look at verse uh, 3. He is the radiance of his glory. So he and his are both um, capitalized. He, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. Um, um, back up into verse 2 is where I should have been, sorry. He appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the world. Now, go with me. Just take a minute and go back to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the, in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew in a little bit. but The beginning of John, in the beginning was the word that's talking about Christ. In the beginning of the, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Listen to verse 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like this earth and this universe was made intentionally, and in whatever way it was made, it was made by him and for him. Okay, so he's the creator of the universe. Now, one more thought before we leave the book of Hebrews. Look at verse four. How much of God? Um, is it verse four or verse three? How much of God did Jesus receive? All the fullness. Let's get, somebody go to Colossians 1:19. That's back to the left, not very far. Colossians 1:19. It's going to tell us how much of Jesus God received. Steve, have you got that one? God was pleased to all fullness. God was pleased to pour into the, his son all the fullness. All everything. Nothing left out, nothing missing. It's not that Jesus was a demi-god, a small God. He was God, according to the scriptures, in several places. Uh, one person said it this way. He was as much God as if he were not man at all. But he was also as much man as if he were not God at all. That's the mystery of the incarnation. He was as much God as if he were not man at all. But he also was as much man as if he were not God at all. Now, if I were to ask you, do you see that? It would be quite okay for you to say, no, I don't see that. I don't get it. I'm not sure we're supposed to completely get that. I think it's one of those great theological mysteries that I accept by faith and say this is the wonder of the God man, and it's part of the wonder in a very real sense of what goes on this time of year. Now, what is it for you that signals the beginning of Christmas season? Do what? Thanksgiving, so so Thanksgiving kind of gets you ready for Christmas, kind of does that for me. I'm going to be much more um, earthy than that. The B.C. Clark jingles, what? you know, that's exactly what I was thinking of. The B.C. Clark, I I heard it, Thanksgiving weekend, I thought, okay, Christmas is here. Anybody else? What signals Christmas for you? You can't go buy, you know, trees and stuff in the uh, stores because they're starting to put those out in mid-August, you know. Music, they start playing. Music, music, isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Joanne, the music really signals it for me. Uh, one of the things that has signaled it for me, and I haven't watched it yet this year, even though it was on on the... We haven't watched much TV lately because the kids have been around. We've just been talking and playing with them. But um, a Charlie Brown Christmas is one of those things that I look forward to. <coughs> Let me give you some background. It's an interesting story, I think. The iconic Peanuts special turned 50 this year, um, and they marked that this week on ABC. But back in 1965... It almost didn't air. When Coca-Cola's ad agency, which was the original sponsor, contacted executive producer Lee Mendelssohn looking for a holiday special for CBS, he pitched the idea of a Charlie Brown Christmas on a whim. He really hadn't checked with Charles Schultz. He hadn't really thought it through. He just said, what if we do a Charlie Brown special? Um they The two of them had a, a couple of days only to p- come up with the proposal. Mendelssohn recalled in the documentary of the making of a Charlie Brown Christmas. Coca-Cola approved the outline, gave him six months to produce the special, which was a really tight timeline for a for a cartoon and um, and it, it the Peanuts gang had never been adapted for TV or film before. so he opted to use amateur children's voices, which you can hear those on there. It meant that often he had to feed the lines to five- and six-year-old kids, resulting in kind of the sing-song cadence of those younger characters and the way they talked. Schultz's decision to have Linus read a Bible passage was seen as risky, since the Bible had never been animated at that point. When it was finally complete, they thought the whole thing was too slow, didn't work, and they'd ruined Charlie Brown. CBS didn't like it, uh, saying it didn't fit with what a children's Christmas special should look like at the time. The general reaction was one of some disappointment. It didn't really translate as well as we thought it would, said Fred Silverman, who was then CBS executive. There were specific negative comments about the music. Some of the voicing sounded amateurish. It was a commitment and the film was made. Well, because it was already printed in the TV listings, they went ahead and showed it on December 9th, 1965. It earned a whopping 49% audience share meaning nearly 50% of TVs on that night were tuned in to watch A Charlie Brown Christmas. It went on to receive an Emmy and a Peabody Award and is the second longest-running holiday special on TV behind Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Vince Garaldi's jazz soundtrack has sold more than 3 million copies. It even was on the show, was on U.S. Postage Stamps at one, one time. Here's something that you and I kind of looked to trigger... Christmas for us, and it almost didn't make it. Almost landed on the cutting floor. And what I want to say, Rhonda, you'll appreciate this, is what if, what if Rudolph had made it and Charlie Brown didn't? You and I would be really, really disappointed. Uh, Rudolph creeps Rhonda out, okay? Roger thinks anything with deer horns is only made to be shot anyway. So, All right, so. What I'm talking about here is what you got in a manger in Bethlehem. What people got that came to CBS on December 9th, 1965, they thought was a disappointment. It turned out not to be a disappointment at all. Did you know that what came to the earth, who came to the earth in a manger in Bethlehem, disappointed lots and lots of people. But I would venture to say this. If you really see him through eyes of faith, he will never disappoint you. He'll never disappoint you. Now, I want us to read on. We're going to go to Matthew 16. I asked somebody to read this. Larry, was that you? Okay, good. Good. Thirteen through fifteen in Matthew sixteen. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Thessalonica, he was asking the disciples, who do people say that some
1: guy is? They said, some said John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah. One of the problems he said
0: to you, but who do you say I am? Go on, one more. Fifteen. If you watch some um, TV that's supposed to be kind of um, intellectual and kind of historical, you might hear them a lot at this time of year, and it also happens at Easter, trying to do these kind of elaborate documentaries about who Jesus really was. Okay. Um, I, I find that really intriguing. And typically what I would say to you is if your faith is really strong, you can watch that and you can scoff at most of them a little bit. If your faith is not strong, be very careful. Okay, um, I, I was reading in a commentary early this morning, and I recognized that even some of the commentators, you know, kind of want to take the edge off the Christmas story. And I'm just saying, no, this is wrong. Now, far be it for me to argue with a commentator, but in this case, I'm going to. In Jesus' day, what were they saying about who he was? A rabbi, a, rabbi, a teacher. Okay. Sorry? Those that got it right called him Messiah. That's what Peter said. Did you are you aware that in Jesus' day he was also called the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier and Mary? Are you aware that in Jesus' day uh, he was called a country bumpkin rabbi? Are you aware that in Jesus that in our day he's sometimes known as a myth? Um, or that he may have existed, but he was just one of several good and moral teachers. In our day, he might be called the founder of the largest religion in history. But in his day, it's interesting. He asks the disciples, "Who, who do men say that I am? He's really curious about what's being said. This is not just rhetorical. He's curious of what they've heard. And they'll say, Several things here. A prophet, maybe you're, maybe you're uh, John the Baptist come back to life, or, or Elijah come back to life. But Peter got it right. He says he's the Christ. But what's after that comment? I think. Look at it. Let's go back here to Matthew. Um, 16, because and I want you to look at it in your, in your Bibles because the, uh, the syntax is very interesting here and it's very, very important. Read verse, I'm going to have us, we're going to start at verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Verse 15, Simon Peter answered verse 16, you are the Christ, comma, and he explains, you are the Christ. What's the next phrase? The son of the living God. Now, by the way, if he's not that, and if he never thought he was, never intended to be the son of the living God, what would he have then replied to Peter? He would have said, no, you got it wrong. Right? But what is, how does Jesus respond to Peter's confession? Somebody bigger than you revealed this to you, pal. The Spirit has revealed this to you. God has told you this. Now, let's talk a little bit about this announcement of his birth, and that's where we spend the balance of our time today. Um, I think I handed Matthew 1, 18 to uh, somebody. Larry, is that you? You mind to read a few of those verses through there?
1: child and will give birth to a son and then we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Joseph woke up and gave
0: up the man with the Lord as he neighborhood. And took Mary on as his wife. He had no meaning with her until she gave birth to her son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, now Mary's pregnancy here is going to begin with true dramatic two dramatic claims. First of all, it's going The claim is that Jesus is Christ. Now, what you need to understand is that when um, uh, when it says this now at the beginning of um, of kind of this passage that Larry read, the birth of Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. Okay, that's his title: Messiah, Christ, Savior, Master. I mean, it applies a lot of things. Deliverer, Redeemer, okay? So this begins, as as the story kind of unfolds here, Jesus Christ, by the way, that would be scandalous when it was first read to a Jewish audience. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So, first of all, Jesus is Christ, and the conception is divine. And it goes on, he uses in verse 23, he quotes from uh, something from 700 years before, Isaiah seven fourteen. Uh, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he'll call his name Emmanuel. So, uh, Matthew kind of quotes that here, all right? Now, look down at, at verse, um, well, hang on just a minute, and we're going to get back to Mary in a minute. But I want us to talk for just a minute here about Joseph. And then we'll talk about Mary. Joseph's experience, it begins with what I would believe, what I would call a crisis of of conscience. Look at verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. What you and I need to know or, what I need to kind of ask myself this time of year is why didn't the angel come to Joseph first? Same angel, within a day or so of each other, why didn't he come to Joseph first? I find that really intriguing because Joseph had already had a crisis of conscience. She had told him what's going on. Oh, the Lord came to me and the angel came to me and told me all this is going to happen. And Joseph had to then deal with, what am I going to believe about that? And his determination was that he would do the righteous, kind, gracious thing and just have her put away. She would live the rest of her life as a single woman, a single mom. He's struggling with that decision when the angel comes to him in a dream. He's already had a crisis of conscience. I think it's it's a perfect part of God's plan that the angel didn't come to Joseph first; he came to him second. Now, let's look at Mary's experience. Um, Jeff, read twenty six down through thirty eight of Luke one. Luke, Luke, uh, Luke 1, 26 to thirty-eight. Okay, now, this is Mary's experience. I want you to look at verse 28 and verse 30 that Jeff just read. Okay? Verse 28 says, when the angel comes to her, coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. Look at verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The same word used twice in three verses. It's also used in Ephesians 2 where it says, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. It's the word grace. He literally says, behold, graced one. Mary's experience is because of the grace of God. The, now, I'm going to change the next sentence. So take the word not on your outline and just mark it out. The word not. And take the word but on your outline and put the word not there. Okay? There's a reason why I did this. Because we think the other way around. The emphasis here is not on the, we would say, if it just like it is, the emphasis is not on the gift, but on the receiver, right? But that's not at all true. The emphasis is not on the gift. I'm sorry, go back. The emphasis is on the gift, not the receiver. There's the issue. For some reason, we've kind of gotten this wrong over the years, that there was something special, something incredible about Mary, and something pretty incredible about Joseph. And the truth is they were, they were godly, believing, faithful people. But they were graced, both of them, by God's touch on their life, just like you and I have been. So the emphasis here is on the gift not the receiver. It's kind of like sometimes uh, we'll talk about this group and we'll say, boy, these are really, the prayers of these people really work. That is not actually true. I want you to still pray because the God to whom you pray is moved when you pray. But it's God that does it, not your prayers. You hear me? You hear that all-important distinction? Okay. Now, so in verse 37 that Jeff read, God is... Just Mary says, how could this be? And, and you and I recognize that what the angel says, God specializes in the impossible. And part of that impossible, John 1.14 says that um, the word became flesh. The idea is, and this is a scandalous thought, that God, in this story, God becomes a fetus. God becomes a fetus. That's imponderable. It's just imponderable. Uh, Evangelist Evie Hill, in talking about this, says about that, no wonder the angels sang. (laughs) Isn't that great? No wonder they started to sing. Now, if you look again at Luke 138, which is where we are, Mary says, "This really wonderful thing." The angel says, "This is happening." angel says." and, and Mary says, "May it be to me as you have said." Her response was resignation. If you go back to Matthew 1, where Larry was reading a little bit ago, it's going to say when the angel reveals all this to Joseph, he just gets up the next morning and does exactly as the angel told him to do. His response is obedience. Her response? Resignation. His response? Obedience. And it was tough obedience, wasn't it? So, my question to leave you with. Who is he really? When you read the Bible, do you read it like Mary's response to the angel and say, Lord, when I'm opening up your word, I'm going to do to you what you say. Do for you what you say. Who is he really? The Bible says he is the Son of God. My question, is he your deliverer? Is he your Messiah? Because The answer to the question of who he is really does matter. It has absolute eternal significance. Who I believe he is and what I'm going to do with that decision makes all the difference in the world. Now, next week, I want you to read Luke 2 and Matthew 2. We're going to kind of deal with those two next week, okay? Merry Christmas. I'll see you next week.